Open your Bibles with me, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 20. We continue our journey through Samuel. Um, there's, a, there's an old joke out there that goes something like this. Uh, once I told my, my father, nobody likes me. He said, don't say that. Everybody hasn't met you yet. Friendship is our topic today. What does it look like to be a true friend? As an introvert by nature, I struggle to make connections on a one-on-one -on -one basis. You've probably encountered that as me being your pastor at times. There's been times where you're like, I wish he were a little bit more open, or I wish he were a little bit more this or that or whatever. Um, that's just not my personality. And so it's just something I struggle with, to be able to connect. Uh, with people on a one-to-one -one basis. Do okay in front of crowds, but one-on-one, uh, -on -one, just, I'm just not willing to put myself out there very often. And the, the, the times I do, sometimes it doesn't always get reciprocated. Sometimes, you know, you put yourself out there, you open yourself up, take that chance, and the person you do that to just find some way to crush you, <laughs> you know? And so when you do make those friends, and you're someone like me, you know, some of you may not have that struggle. Some of you may make friends left and right. You know, it's like, hey, hey, you know, you walk down the street, hey. You know, everybody knows your name. Everybody loves you. Everybody thinks you're the greatest. And if that's you, man, God bless you. That is, that is, that's wonderful for you. What a, what a gift. What a, what a privilege to be that person. That's not me. And so um, friendship means a lot to me. Those people that I do let in, and, and when I let them in, they let me in, and, and we connect. That goes a long way to me. I'll, I'll go to the ends of the earth for, for people like that, for people that I've connected with. Um, in our story today, we're looking at Jonathan and David, uh, two individuals. Um, really, if you think about it, kind of on the same career path, you know? Um, and what's odd about that there is that they're on a career path where there's only one position open, right? Jonathan is the son of the king, the oldest son of the king. He is, by human standards, the next king of Israel. That was the expectation. Saul was king. When Saul died, it would go to Jonathan. Everybody assumed that. Saul assumed that. The people around them probably assumed that. Jonathan... You know, at least he knew that, and we see him responding differently to that, but at least he knew that was kind of the expectation. And then, of course, we have David, who is God's anointed to be the next king. God has selected him. God has said, you are the king. He's already been anointed that way. He's always been acknowledged that way. And so you have two guys who are headed toward the same point in their lives, it seems, and yet the Bible says they loved each other like they loved themselves. They had a bond. They had a connection. They had a, a friendship that went deep. It went beyond those restrictions, went beyond those expectations. We've already seen Jonathan take off his royal garb and, and give it to, to David, a symbolic move saying, you know, even though the world says I'm supposed to be king. I'm, 
I'm acknowledging that that God's already given that to you. And we, we've seen the, this interaction in, in so many ways. And today it really comes to a head, really comes to a, a point of uh, encounter with um, Saul seeking David's life. We've already seen it happen a couple times. We've already seen Saul throw a spear. We've already seen Saul uh, send out his men, his troops, to, to capture David, to attack David, to kill David. We, we've seen that played out a couple times already. Um, and David is rightfully worried about the situation because he's in Saul's court. He's the court musician. He's also one of his leading generals. And so as the new moon festival comes around, and, and this is a big festival within Israel's history, um, he would have been expected to be present for that, to, to be visible alongside Saul. But he also knew that if he showed up for that, there's a good chance Saul would have him arrested. Saul would have him put to death. Saul would do something there. Um, Saul not being in his right mind. He, he wasn't worried about decorum or those sorts of things. He would have acted had he seen David. And so David and Jonathan have a conversation. And that's really the essence of chapter 20. The, the first half of it is a conversation between David and Jonathan. I may have just said David and Saul had a conversation. I meant David and Jonathan. David and Jonathan had a conversation. And that's the essence of the first half of the book, of the, of the chapter here. That David's worried. And he's going to Jonathan with these worries, as you would to a friend. And the exchange and the, the, the words that they speak to each other and then the actions that follow on those words in the second half of the chapter represent for us, I believe, a picture of what godly friendship involves and includes. So we're not going to look at, at the, we're not going to read the entire chapter. I, I really encourage you this afternoon to, to go back and, and read through the chapter just to see the words and, and what they have to say. We're just going to look at a, a few things, but I want to start by looking at verse 42, which is kind of the summation of their encounter, of their exchange. It says, Jonathan then said to David, go in the assurance the two of us have pledged in the name of Yahweh. When we said, Yahweh will be a witness between you and me and between my offspring and your offspring forever. Then David left and Jonathan went into the city. Those words of commitment, those words of connection there, really encapsulate the heart of a true friendship. A true friendship, especially for a believer, is embedded in the Lord. It's embedded in the faith. And we'll come back to that more here in a second, but, but that's the heart of, of what's going on here and, and what's taking place. But there are four basic promises, I guess we might say, that are at the heart of a, a, a true friendship. And the first of these promises is, is kind of laid out for us there in verses 1 through 4, and that's to protect at all costs. As the story starts, as I said, David is fearful. He comes to Jonathan. He expresses his concern, and Jonathan says there in verse 4, whatever you say, 
I'll do for you. Whatever it is you need, whatever it is you're lacking, whatever it is it takes to protect you, to see you through the circumstance, to see you through the situation, I will do that for you. And, and, and when you think about it, that's, I mean, that, that's kind of, you know, the heart of, of friendship, right? It, it's, it's the willingness to stand up, to stand beside somebody who matters to you. One of my favorite stories from, from both sports and history is the story of Pee Wee Reese and Jackie Robinson. You may be familiar with the story if you've seen uh, 42, the movie. Um, it, it, it plays out in the movie, but it, it's, it's a very famous story. Jackie Robinson, as you all know, was uh, the first uh, player of color to enter into Major League Baseball. And uh, during the, at that time in history, the late 40s and so forth, it was not a, a welcome addition, let's just say, uh, for most of the country. And it was a very difficult time for him dealing with the harassment, dealing with the fact that sometimes they weren't allowed to, uh, the team wasn't allowed to stay in certain hotels that they'd always stayed in because Jackie was now part of them and the hotel would not allow uh, persons of color to, to be in their hotels and, and those sorts of things. And wherever they traveled, there was always this hardship, this difficulty. And the story goes that they were in Southern Ohio playing and Southern Ohio is not too far from Kentucky, where Pee Wee uh, was from. And so he had a lot of fans in that area. He had a lot of friends and family who were in that area as well. And, and they were being especially rough or difficult on Jackie that particular day. This is in the, the first season, perhaps the second season. There's a little bit of disagreement there as to which season exactly it was. But it's one of those first two seasons. And as they're standing there and as they're encountering all this hatred, being spewed and being yelled at Jackie Robinson, he's feeling all alone. The story goes that Pee-wee Reese walked across the diamond to him and stood beside him and took his arm and put it around Jackie. And that the two of them just stood there and stared into the crowd. Now, Pee Wee was a very popular player, especially in that particular area. And so to see him risk his popularity, risk his standing with some of his family, risk his standing with, with many there in the Major League Baseball community, just to put his arm around his friend Jackie and just to say, I stand with this guy. Was it was a major statement. There's a there's a there's a statue in New York of that very moment with, with Pee-wee with his arm around Jackie. It was, a, it was a big moment in baseball relations. It was a big moment in race relations. A lot of people who saw that began to rethink their position, re began to rethink their statement, their, their ideas about race and color and so forth. But I think in the world we live in today, we might kind of minimize exactly how big a deal it was for Pee Wee to do that. What a big risk it was for him. The story goes that as they, they broke up, he says, maybe tomorrow we'll all wear 42. That way they won't be able to tell us apart. 
a friend is willing to risk who they are and their reputation, their standing, their those sorts of things for the one that they love, the one who's there for them. They're willing to, to protect them, to guide them. He assured, Jonathan assures David, if my father is inclined to harm you, may Yahweh deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away safely. May Yahweh be with you as he has been with my father. Jonathan didn't desert his father. He didn't turn his back on his father. He didn't he didn't break the 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 biblical ideals of how a father should respond or a son should respond to his father. He was obedient. He was still very much a person of integrity. He didn't he didn't break the rules of God in this encounter. But he was willing to break the rules of society, the rules that went against God's ideals and God's concerns and God's focus. To stand beside his friend, to protect him. And that grows out of the, the, the second promise, and that is to, to love without reserve. As, we, as I already said, the, the, the text has told us repeatedly that Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. And our world has, being the corrupted, fallen world that it is, it's tried to turn that love into something that's not biblical. It's tried to turn that love into something that's not in line with God's standards or God's principles. It's tried to turn that love into a same-sex connection. Which, um, that's what the world does. That's what sin does. It takes something beautiful and pure and wonderful and expression of godliness and tries to twist it to its own purposes and its own goals and its own outcomes, its own perspectives to, to try and justify sin, to try and justify our behavior. The love that these two shared is the love that's described in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient, kind. It does not envy or boast. We're in the middle of Pride Month, which just the fact that, I mean, the, the irony of it just strikes me all the time that you're sinning, and then the way you celebrate your sin is by compounding it with another sin of pride. I mean, it's it, it's just, just the, the building of that. It doesn't boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not, what? Rejoice in wrongdoing. But rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's the kind of love that Scripture advocates. That's the kind of love that God teaches us to have. It's a true love. It's a sincere love. It's it's wishing the best on some people. It's not 
attacking them. We're, we're, our job and our purpose is not to attack people and to, to ridicule or to shame, well, shame to some degree, but to, 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 to put them down. Our job is to love and, and to seek to, to redeem and to, to help and to encourage. But not at the cost of truth. That's not love at all. There need to be boundaries. Whether you're a parent raising a child or a friend helping out a friend, love is not love if there are no boundaries present. Boundaries set not by our, again, our customs and our culture, but boundaries set by the truth. The truth of God's word. The truth of God's perspective and God's take on things. It's a difficult road to, to walk. It's not, a, it's not a path that the people want to hear. We've grown into a culture that says, if you disagree with me, you hate me. Which means that we as believers need to go the extra mile to show that our disagreement or our observation or our recognition of something as being wrong something that we don't believe is in line with God's purpose, that we need to respond to that with clarity, but also with compassion and love. We need to go that extra step. We need to go that extra mile to reveal to people, to reflect to people that we do love them, that we are there for them, that we are walking with them in the struggle, in this journey. Remembering that you don't get to choose the sin you're tempted by. You and I may not struggle with that particular sin, but we have those sins that we do struggle with. And you don't get to choose the sin you're tempted by. So we keep that in mind. I hope that helps us to grow in our compassion. But Jonathan and David had a love without reserve. This is verses 5 through 17 are basically a, a long conversation. It's basically David saying, but, 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 you know, Saul wants to do this, and he wants me dead, and he wants me this, and he wants me that, and he wants, you know, he's saying all these things. And Jonathan just saying, I got your back. I got your back. I got your back. I got your back. Every time David raised an issue, Jonathan was like, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm standing beside you. That's love. That's the type of love that is revealed in a marital relationship, but it's the type of love that is expressed in true friendship as well. The third promise is to be accountable without exception. Now, accountable in this particular context, most of the time when I use the word accountable, I mean, somebody's done something wrong, and you're going to hold them to account for that. You're going to go to them and get in their face, and you're going to say, hey, you messed up here. And, and that truly is a, re a reflection of a true friendship, but only true friends can do that. You know, um, in, in my own experience, you know, I've had, I've made mistakes. I know that shocks you. I have. <laughs> you know, 
I've made mistakes, and and when those mistakes are pointed out to me, it hits me very differently when it's somebody who's been on a journey with me versus somebody who's just kind of on the periphery of who I am and what they know about me. Both are important. If I've done wrong, I need to be held accountable regardless. But it just hits me differently when it's somebody who, who has been through the fire with me and who's walked with me and who's, who's encouraged me and who's helped me when they're saying it. And too often, friends are not willing to do that. So that's important. But what I'm talking about here, what, what, I'm, what I'm referring to here is accountability to the word, the, 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 the oath, the, the devotion that you communicated to your friend. When you've said, you're my friend. When you said, I love you. When you said, you know, um, I'm going to protect you. That we carry through with that. That we hold ourselves accountable to our word. Jonathan here um, has his exchange in these verses with Saul. He goes to the New Moon Festival. Saul recognizes that David's not there. And so Jonathan says, he's in Bethlehem. He's sacrificing there with his community instead of being here with us. Just as Jonathan and David had discussed saying. And Saul explodes. In fact, Saul speaks some of the harshest words from one person to another expressed anywhere in Scripture. In verse 30, he says, Saul became angry with Jonathan and shouted, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Okay. Now, that is that is a cleaned up, softened way of saying what, what Saul said. If, if we translated it in terms of his actual statement into English, Y'all would be offended. I'm just saying right now. Okay? It's a very, very harsh curse. And it's an expletive. There's, there's no way around it. Okay? It's a very harsh statement that Saul says here. He's basically saying, you're not my son. No son of mine would do that. Your mom obviously cheated on me to have you. But he's saying it in the strongest of words. Um. And how he's saying it. Can you imagine a son being told that by his father? Having your father look at you and say, I don't even think you're my child. In the harshest of possible ways. How easy would it have been at that moment? Just say, I'm. I'm sorry, Father. I, I, you know, I've, you know, if you love your parent, if you love your father, you've been there. How easy it is at that point to say, I'm sorry. You're right. Here's what's actually going on. Here's how you can find me. I shouldn't have said these things to you. I shouldn't have communicated. It would have been easy to fold under that kind of pressure. But what? Jonathan has made this oath. He's sworn this word. He's communicated who he is to David. And he's going to stand beside it because David is his friend and because it's right. It's the right 
thing to do. And we know it's the right thing to do because of the fourth promise, and that is to share the bond of faith without compromise. That verse we started with in 42, where it talks about the oath, the going in peace and so forth. It says what? It says, in the name of Yahweh, and that Yahweh is a witness to us. It wasn't just a friendship born out of a connection between Jonathan and David. It wasn't just a, a friendship born because, hey, we like a lot of the same things. Let's hang out. That's great. That's a big part of friendship in a lot of ways. But from a godly perspective, the true path of friendship goes through our relationship with Jesus, through our relationship with God. That's the bond that really brings us together. That's the bond that really will, will bind us tightly. That's the bond that will see us through and help us to make the right decisions. When do I hold my friend accountable? When do I stand beside them? When do I, when do I um, tell them they've done wrong? And when do I tell people who are attacking them they're wrong? How do I make that decision? How do I find that balance? It's not just a concern for my friend that drives me. It's not just a, the mindset of how my friend might take it that, that motivates my actions and my decisions. It's our dual connection to God. It's the fact that I know that my friend is as interested in pleasing God as I am. And that's part of our bond. That's part of our connection. That's part of who we are. Someone once wrote concerning friendship. This is their definition of friendship. It says, by friendship, you mean the greatest love, the greatest usefulness, the most open communication, the noblest sufferings, the severest truth, the heartiest counsel, and the greatest union of minds of which brave men and women are capable. That's friendship. That's at the basis of, of who we've called, been called to be. That's at the, the basis of our connection as believers. Though there may be people in this congregation, I know there are people in this congregation that you're closer to than others, that you've walked with through certain journeys and you continue to walk with and, and, and be blessed by more than someone else. The fact that we are bound together as believers in the Lord, that we have a bond of faith, that we stand together here and say, Jesus is Lord, is an expression, is a communication of the friendship that we all share. As I started, as I said when I started, I struggle to make connections. But I want you all to know, as your pastor, and even more importantly, I think, as your fellow believer in this congregation, there's no journey I wouldn't take for you. There's no path I wouldn't walk for you. If you need me, I'm here. Just call. Just reach out. I love you guys. And I'm, I'm 
looking forward to our journey together in the years ahead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this congregation. God, I thank you for the friendship that we can share in the promise of, of who you are, what you've called us to do, who you've called us to be. God, I'm, I'm most grateful for the, the friendship we experience with you that you've made possible through your son. That though you're the creator and the majestic one, beyond all imagination and knowledge, you've deemed it appropriate and part of your desire and commitment to befriend us, paying a hefty cost, expressing the deepest love, calling us to accountability, giving us a faith that we can stand on. God, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who hasn't experienced that friendship, that connection with you, that you would draw them, that they would respond. They would find that connection with you that is beyond imagination and description. God, I pray that as we look at our own lives and the friendships we have, our responses to our culture, our responses to the people who are around us, God, drive us to be driven by the type of love that you've described in your word. A love that holds to the truth, but also does so in a way that, that truly expresses sacrifice and commitment. Lord, we are so grateful to you for your goodness, for all you've done, for all you are. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.